God. I'm never going back to trying to find life in things that always leave me hungry and, and thirsty and empty and dry. I, I'm never going back to living a life that is outside of the powerful, unfailing embrace of the Father. There's nothing that I have need of because there's nothing that you haven't done for me. You make my soul alive. Uh, nothing can do that. Other things, I, you can have a, a pleasure for a moment, you feel alive for a moment, right? And it's over, right? Accomplish something, it feels good for a while, but then it's over. But God can make your soul alive. And so I, I'm not going back. And that song reminds me, that's my theme song, I am never going back to a life that isn't lived in pursuit of God. Now I want to start off this morning with a brief devotional thought that comes from one of the chapters that some of us read in our faith comes from hearing a Bible reading program. We do a chapter a day, six days a week. It was Matthew 8, and I read it on Friday morning, and what an amazing chapter. It opens up this way. The large, Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a, a man with leprosy approached him, and he knelt before him. Wow, what a bold and risky thing to do. I mean, lepers, are, they're supposed to stay away from people. Yeah, but this guy is too desperate. You know, he, he's too desperate about getting better to care about rules for lepers 101, right? I, I mean, I, I bet his heart is about to pound out of his chest. And, and you know, I, I, I wonder what the large crowd that had just heard Jesus speak those words on the mountainside, I, I wonder what they were thinking what they were doing, what they were saying as this leper drew near to Jesus enough before him. Now, I've been to a leper colony, and to be honest, I was a little nervous, <laughs> and I was very cautious to keep my distance. Well, apparently, this, this desperate man could, could, have, could not have cared less about what the crowd was thinking, what the crowd was feeling or saying, because he needed a healing, and he wanted to get better. And I think if he were here this morning, he would tell each and every one of us, forget about the crowd. Now forget about what the crowd is thinking or saying. Don't let them keep you from Jesus. And then the man said, Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And, you know, as I read this on Friday morning, I, I tried to put myself there and feel the full impact of this encounter. And I started wondering, okay, Jesus, what are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? Jesus, is your heart broken over this man's condition and circumstances? And Jesus, is a, is a tear forming in your eye because this guy doesn't even think that you would be willing to heal him, that he's worthy of your healing? Now, there is one thing about this guy that is pretty commendable, right? He has no doubt that Jesus can, that Jesus has the ability to change and heal his present circumstances. He just doesn't know if he'd be willing to heal a guy like him. And Jesus reached out and touched him and said three words, I am willing. I think God may want to say that to some people in this room this morning. I don't know what you're going through, right? And What situation that has you bogged down? I want you to know that Jesus says, I am willing. I'm willing to help you. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Now, can you imagine what this ex-leper is thinking, feeling, and doing? Now, understand, Matthew 8 paints a picture 
of a God who is more than worthy of your love. It paints a picture of a God who longs to heal and restore and change your present condition and circumstances. I mean, that's pretty much all Jesus does in Matthew 8, right? Uh, we see him healing the leper. We see him healing the centurion servant. We see him healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law. We see him casting countless demons out of people. Matthew eight seventeen says, this fulfilled, all this healing and helping people fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. And oh yeah, Matthew 8, Jesus also speaks and a powerful storm suddenly becomes calm. Got any storms in your life that need calming? Who is this man? Even the winds and waves obey him. Who is he? I'll tell you who he is. He is a mighty, powerful, awesome, compassionate, uncontainable God of infinite grace and matchless glory, a God worthy of our love, a God worthy of your love and my love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, it's crazy that we get to come into your presence. And God, you know us. You were there when, when we were just one cell in our mom's womb being formed by your tender hands. And you know us now. You know our hopes, our dreams, our struggles, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us. Well, you already are. You always do. I pray that we'll listen, that we'll hear you. And that today our answer to you will be a great big Yes. Amen. I, I, I want us to read several passages of Scripture that um, will kind of lay the foundation for our conversation today. And if you guys would stand, we're going to take turns. I'm going to take the first slide, and then you take the next. And we'll just go back and forth and you know, try to listen to part. The common theme is God's love. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. Though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Lord, your God is a, in your midst, a, a mighty God who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is Jesus praying to the Father in the garden. You love them, Father, as much as you love me. Is there another one? May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of 
We know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We love because he first loved us. May God bless the reading of his word. You guys can be seating. I'm Maple Grove. It is February the 26th, 2017, and week five of our message series, Getting Better at What Jesus Said Matters Most. And and listen, I I want you to know that getting better at what Jesus just said matters most. Getting better at loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving yourself is going to be an ongoing, frequently revisited, and a continuously pursued destination for Maple Grove. Why? Because Jesus says that these three commands are the most important thing. I understand there is nothing more important in the church and in your life and mine than getting better at loving ourselves, you know, being emotionally healthy and spiritually mature, uh, than loving God and loving our neighbor. And that is why we will never stop pursuing getting better at what Jesus said matters most. Uh, Because the truth is that it's upon these three hinges that all the law and all the prophets rest. And and getting better at them, as I felt God impress upon me early Friday morning, getting better at these three things is the pathway, is the doorway to the life you always wanted to live. Check out a couple of pictures I took early Friday morning. Anybody know what that is? It's a door, right? Uh, doors go on walls, right? And, and, and doors separate, right? Doors are, are a barrier, right? They close things off. And listen, I, I have been convinced for years that there is a life that God created me to live and a life that God create, created you to live. A, a life that the Lord of all creation, has intended that you would live. And it's a life of freedom, of joy, of contentment, of purpose, satisfaction, meaning, fulfillment, and abundant living. It's life in all its fullness. It's life that is really life. But tragically, it's also a life that far too many people who claim Jesus and walk through the doors of the church leave this earth without ever experiencing in all its fullness. And yet it's always just beyond the door. Okay, check out the next picture I took early Friday morning. What? Another, it's the same door. And, 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 and do, do, you, do you see like those three things on the left-hand side of the door? Anybody know what those things are called? Hinges. Hinges. And they allow the door, right, to open freely. And what God impressed upon me Friday morning, he said, hey, Steve, Loving God is the top hinge. Loving yourself is the middle hinge. And loving your neighbor is the bottom hinge. And Steve, if, if you get better at these things, if you work those hinges, the door will swing open and you will walk into a life you've always dreamed of. The life you've always wanted to live. Hey, here's the deal. And listen, this deal is for real. 
If you feel that there's a door, if there's a barrier that is keeping you from the life that you want to live, you know, the life that Jesus said he came to bring in John 10 that is rich and satisfying, if you feel that's being closed off, the good news is, is that Jesus says that door has three hinges. Understand, getting better and loving God as you should, loving your neighbor as he intends, and loving yourself as he commands is the doorway to the life God created you to live. Seriously, for real. And listen, if you want to be fully alive and free, if you want to be full of joy and peace and contentment, the answer is just keep getting better and loving God and loving yourself and loving others. And you will live like you have never lived before. Do them not, and you won't. So I say, let's keep working those hinges. Let's keep working those hinges. Now turn to the person to your left and right and tell them, let's work those hinges. Let's work those hinges. Let's work those hinges. Let's work those hinges. And now we spent the, uh, the first three weeks talking about that, uh, that, that middle hinge, the commandment of Jesus for you to love yourself. And during those three weeks, we learned that to, to love ourselves, that middle hinge, that, that you must plunge the depths of the Father's love, that you must push through insecurity, that you must accept that loving yourself is essential, not selfish. That you must go back sometimes in order to move forward, visit some ugliness in your past and have God heal it. That you must use 1 Corinthians 13 as a template for loving yourself. That you must let God's approval become your validation. You don't need anybody else to validate your life. God's already validated it. Church, it's time to define yourself radically as one beloved by God. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. And the last week we began to talk about the top hinge, getting better at loving God, in a conversation where I tried to make the case that God is worthy of your love because God is great. I mean, come on, he breathes out stars. He, he knit you in your mother's womb, one self from your dad, one self from your mom, and there you are today. I mean, to see the greatness of our God, all we have to do is look up into the heavens, look at our own body, and look around at this world that surrounds us every day. And God is worthy of your, of your love because God is good. He constantly pours out his grace and mercy. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful to his promises. He upholds those who fall and he lifts those who are bent beneath their load. He satisfies the desires of every living thing. He's near to all who call on him. He hears our cries and he saves us. Does anybody out there think that God is worthy of their love? Is God worthy of your love? Is God worthy of your love? Is he worthy of your love? Now this morning, as we're going to keep talking, working that top hinge, getting better loving God, I, I want to unpack a conversation I'm calling going all in and loving him. And if my message had a subtitle, it would be going all in and loving him who went all in and loving you. And, and I found this conversation to be extremely difficult. This was my mind this week. I, I, 
I use these file folders on difficult sermons, and I just write whatever pops in my mind. It, it was, that's my head, right? Now you're scared. Hey, please don't leave, <laughs> all right? And, and, and I found myself asking a bunch of questions, like, do I love God? Have I fallen in love with him? How do I know I really love God? What will my life look like if I really did go all in in loving him? Does God feel loved by me? Do I even want to be in love with God? Like I said, a lot of questions. Brothers and sisters, do you love God? Have you fallen in love with him? And how do you know? I mean, what evidence would you point to? Does God feel loved by you? Now, you would think that falling for God and being in love with him would be easier, would be an easy and natural thing for us to do, right? But, it, but is it? I mean, to be honest, it almost feels a little awkward for me to say I'm in love with God. I can say I love God pretty easily, but I am in love with God feels a little bit awkward. Now, would you agree that falling in love with the, the right person and the right thing will change your life for the better? Would you agree with that? And would you agree that falling in love with the wrong person or wrong thing, well, results not so good, right? Have you ever fallen in love with the wrong person? Have you ever fallen in love with the wrong thing? As Dr. Phil, the great theologian, would say, how's that working out for you, right? He's a pretty smart guy, actually. Now, I contend that to fall in love, I contend that to fall for, that falling in love with God is not only a good thing, but that it is the very best thing that you could do. It's the greatest pursuit you will ever undertake. In fact, Jesus seems to indicate in the Sermon on the Mount that it should be easy for us to love people who love us, right? The hard thing is to love people who don't love you, right? You know, to love your enemies. And let me tell you, God is not your enemy. He's the one who loves you with a crazy, unbounded, hard to get your brain around love. In fact, God demonstrated his own love for you in this, that he sent his son to die for you. Any parents out there? He sent his son to die for you while you were still a sinner. Your parents pictured your kid dying for somebody, all right? But God showed his great love for us, for you, by sending Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. And the question I wrestled with all week long was, God, how do we go about doing this? Going all in and loving him. And I want to share with you what God taught me about working this top hinge. Let's work it. And hey, don't forget, that getting better at working this top hinge, as with working your middle and bottom hinge, is the doorway, is the path to the life you're created to live. And it's a pursuit that we will continue to talk about at Maple Grove for years to come. Because Jesus said that this is the most important thing, right? And I think we should get the most important thing down before we worry about anything else. Get it? Now, there are four points in your notes, but early yesterday morning, I found out I can't do four points today. Because I, I didn't want to rush through this. It's like a big deal. Very intimidating to send over and speak for God about how to love God. How you need to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So here's what we're going to do. Unpack the first point today. I'm going to mention the other three, what they are, so the Holy Spirit can begin this week doing some work in you, asking you how you can actually live them out in your life. Bottom line, one point today, three points next week. Okay, let's do this going all in and loving him begins with accepting his proposal. Check out this video about proposals. Amen. In his book, Falling for God, 
saying yes to his extravagant proposal, Gary Moon writes the following. God has offered us an invitation. Now, God has offered us an incredible invitation to enter into intimate relationship with himself. He continues, relationship. Loving connection with the one who sketched out the first Adam, hung the stars without string, and crafted your soul with greater love than your mom felt as she knitted your first booties. Connection with the one who loves you with the romantic love of a groom for his bride. Romantic? Yes. God's desire for love is stronger than your own. And his use of loving imagery in describing it is enough to make a bartender blush. The foreshadowing backdrop to Jesus' first miracle is a week-long wedding celebration in Cana. He leaves his apprentices with the charge to become one with the Father. And he calls the church's bride and himself the groom, a bride invited to be at the greatest wedding celebration in the history of the universe, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He continues, it boggles the mind. Why would God want to develop a loving relationship with me? What do I have to offer him that he does not already have at 10 to the 40th power? <laughs> What's in it for me? This can't be right. Even my spouse and kids need a break from being with me. Could the creator of heaven and earth really desire to be my friend, my lover, closer than newlyweds on their honeymoon and forever and ever? Wow. It's difficult for me to wrap my brain around the fact that I'm not just saved from, but to. That I'm saved to restored intimacy with God. That with salvation comes an invitation to join in with the Trinity as part of their eternal community of love. And with it, an offer to enjoy an intimate fellowship that surpasses what's possible in the best of marriages. As surely as a fish is designed to feel at home in water, you were crafted for a particular environment. You are uniquely designed to be at home in the ocean of God's love. I understand there is a proposal on the table. And yeah, yeah, I know that it's beyond crazy that the Lord of creation, that the Alpha and Omega, that the great I Am would get down on one knee and ask you, would you like to be in a relationship with me? I mean, talk about an extravagant proposal. Understand the star-breathing, ocean-holding Universe-creating, all-powerful, all-knowing, always-existing God of all creation wants to be in a relationship with me and with you. Hard to believe. I mean, can you see him right now on a bended knee, right now, in front of you? Will you be in a relationship with me? Now, this week, I... I dug into what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, 29 and 30, and I learned some things about the nature of God's proposal and the kind of relationship that God is looking for. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, there, there are three words in there that help us understand the kind of relationship that God wants with you and me. It's the word here, the word one, and the word love. Hear, O Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I've always thought that that was kind of a strange way to begin to answer the question of what is the greatest commandment. I mean, it seems like Jesus is merely warming up until he gets to the real stuff, or worse yet, he begins with math. Your God is one, not two or 20 or a million. 
I understand the statement is not a math problem. And it's much more than a prelude to the answer. In fact, it's actually part of the answer to the first commandment, the top hinge, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and so let's dig into it just, just a little bit and understand this extravagant proposal. Jesus begins his answer to what's the greatest commandment by quoting the Shema, which is the Jewish confession of faith found all the way back in Deuteronomy 6. Faithful Jews memorized it and would quote it twice a day. Jesus would have learned this as a, as a small child and would have recited it morning and evening as a vow of obedience to God. And that's the point. The title Shema comes from the first word in the verse. It's a Hebrew word for hear. And the hearing described here is not the, the sound of, it's not sound waves beating your eardrum, but it, it's about obedience. You see, we are not to be just hearers, but doers of the word. And I know for many of us, the word obey sounds like a drag, right? You know, what a bummer, you know? Like it goes against, we don't get to do what we want to do, but listen, with God and Jesus to obey is, is really the way to live. Get it? Now, the second word that Jesus uses that I want to talk about, it, it, it's, it's, really, it's, a really, it's a pledge of allegiance. It's the word ahad, commonly translated one. Now, when we translate the word one, it's understood as a belief in monotheism. It's a creedal statement of the ontology of God, that God is one, not, 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 not many, and which is true. But what sense does that make as a logical argument to loving God and our neighbor? It, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes no more sense than saying God is billions, so love God and love your neighbor. However, there's another way to translate ahad that fits the context better. In fact, in recent decades, scholars have found they think this word should be translated not as one, but as alone. And therefore, we read, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Now, concerning this verse, a Jewish scholar, Lois Teverberg, wrote the following about it. She said this, good, stick with me. Rather than merely being a command to a particular belief about God, it's actually a call for a person's absolute allegiance to God. God alone is the one we should worship. Him only shall we serve. Right? And the final word is the word for love. Aha. I went on Hebrew, pronounce HebrewWords.com to try to get these words. Aha. Aha. My kids in the car, I was practicing, said, Dad, are you barking? No, I'm trying to say love in Hebrew. Right? And it means to act lovingly toward or to be loyal to. You see, God is not commanding a feeling. Rather, he's commanding action and loyalty. Sure, it's nice to have feelings of love towards God, and it's likely you'll but it's likely you'll need to act your way into those feelings rather than feel your way into those actions. And here, Louise Turverberg suggests this will be a good translation of the Shema. Listen up, Israel. The Lord is your God. He and he alone. You should love him with every thought that you think. Live every hour of every day for him. Be willing to sacrifice your life for him. Love him with every penny in your wallet and everything that you got. Again, there's a proposal on the table to enter into a relationship, an exclusive relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. A relationship where God will forgive you of all your sins and, and love you with a love that knows no bounds and that is, that is unending, uncontainable, unconditional, unstoppable, and unfailing. A love that will never leave you and never forsake you. A love that will always seek to bring out the best in you. A love that will be there in sickness and in health, in better and in worse. 
A, a proposal is on the table. And all of heaven and God himself is, is, is waiting for your answer. I mean, as crazy as it seems in a very real way, God is kneeling before every person in this room right now. And the only question remains is, will you say yes to this extravagant proposal? And listen, God does not want to date you. He wants to marry you. You see, there's some in this room who need to say yes to God's proposal again. Yeah, yeah, you said yes to God many, many years ago. But you need to say yes again, kind of like renewing your marriage vows. Because like the believers that Jesus was talking to in the church of Ephesus that John records in Revelation, for some, Jesus would say this today. And if the shoe fits, repent. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do what you did at first. You don't love me as you did at first. One translation says, you have left your first love. See the height from which you have fallen. Now, now some of this room, you got married to Jesus. But you didn't work the marriage. Yeah, I've been married 36 years of my life. I did the math today. That's 64% of my life I've been married. And I know that marriage works if you work the marriage. Some of you said yes, but you know what? You got married to God and you didn't do a thing to work the marriage. You didn't do a thing to really help the marriage get better. And for others, you've allowed your love for Jesus to grow cold. Jesus died for my sins. You know, it, your heart doesn't beat faster when you think about it. You're not blown away that God would love you despite your sins, your flaws, and your failures. But I want you to know that God hasn't given up on you. He's on your knee right, he's on the knee right now. Will you say yes? Will you marry me? Will you renew your vows to me? Will you, will you, will you do the things you did at first? Will your heart just be a little bit faster when you hear my name, when you, when you sing the songs? And listen, some of the things that will be part of your vow renewal will be what we're going to talk about next week, those three points that I didn't have time to get to. They were on the folder, but it didn't matter. Um, see, going all in and loving God involves, number one, you know, enjoying his presence. See, that's where love begins and continues to deepen. Love where it begins and where it continues and it deepens throughout a course of a relationship with him. It also involves embracing his passions. What are God's passions? I understand before you ever find your purpose in life, you have to get lost in God's passions. Before you will ever find your purpose in life, you need to get lost in God's passions and then engaging your own pursuit. Yes, God is waiting for some in this room, waiting for those whose love for him has grown cold, grown cold or those whose allegiance maybe has become divided. You love God, but you kind of love the world and stuff of the world. He's just waiting for you to say, will you say yes again? Will you say yes? There's others who need to say yes for God for the first time. Like I did back in December of 1979 as a 19-year-old kid. You see, I, I've been 
listening to and considering God's proposal for a little over three months. Checking it out. We're going on a few dates. He even bought me dessert, right? And on December 30th, 1979, you know what I did? I said, yes. It was a Sunday night, Orlando, Florida. I said yes for the first time as I surrendered to him and was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I've, a, I've had a book on my shelf for years. It's called Baptism, the Believer's Wedding Ceremony. It was written by uh, Dr. Smith, a professor of law and theology at uh, Pepperdine University, Malibu, California. Oh, my gosh, what a beautiful campus. Beautiful. And here, here, here's what he writes. It's, it's, it's about saying yes to God in baptism. By Jewish custom, the bride would bathe herself in an act of ceremonial cleansing before donning her wedding dress. In like manner, modern times, the bride traditionally wears a white wedding gown to signify the purity she brings to her bridegroom. Christ is acutely aware that we are not pure brides. Not one of us is without sin. Therefore, Christ cleanses us and makes us pure as he brings us into a loving relationship with himself. To describe the cleansing, Paul brings us directly to the wedding ceremony of baptism. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As Christians, we have been washed in the waters of baptism to be a pure bride for Christ. On one occasion, Paul reminisced about his personal dramatic conversion experience and the purpose of his own baptism, and he said, that Ananias had told him in Acts 22, verse 16, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Dr. Smith continues, it is the same for each of us. With the water of baptism, the bridegroom washes away our sins, bathes us in his purity, and presents us to himself as a righteous bride. Could we ever by our own efforts be able to present ourselves pure and free from sin? Never. Therefore, we act on our faith in God's word and submit to being washed by Christ in the waters of baptisms. Our cleansing is solely a matter of grace and mercy. Paul emphasized this point in his letter to Titus when he referred to our rebirth through washing and renewal of our spirit. But when the kindness and the love of our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so they've been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. On December 30th, I said yes. I remember my wedding day. I wanted it to be a private ceremony, right? Church was, all, it was over. I met uh, uh, Pastor Francis Reed in the hallway, and, and we had just sung a hymn, Why Not Now? And I said, yo, why not now? And know what he did? Hey, everybody! It's like, I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. But I remember my wedding day. Church, there's a proposal on the table. Right now. Right now. Everybody, right? There's a proposal on the table. Some of you, those of you who have already said yes to Jesus years ago, you need to say yes again. You need to rekindle the, the, the fires of your devotion for God again. You need to say yes to him. Some of you, you've allowed your love to grow cold, right? He doesn't excite you anymore, right? You can hear amazing grace and it doesn't even affect you anymore. 
You can hear that God died for your sins, sent his son to be brutalized, and it doesn't even cause anything. No stir of emotions, right? You know, the cool thing, just say yes again. God's not going to kick you. He's like, I've been waiting for you to say yes. Let's, let's take this relationship deeper than it's ever been. And let me love you more than you've ever been loved before, right? And then maybe you're here today, and you, like me at 19, you need to say yes. You know, you know, baptism is not something to argue about or discuss. It's a promise of God. It's a beautiful ceremony, right? It, it's something we get to do, right? We're not forced to do it. I just want to encourage you. If you've never been baptized, immersed in the name of Jesus, I encourage you to do it today, you know? You know, there's no really point in waiting, right? And we serve an awesome God, and there's a couple of scriptures I'm going to read. You guys stand, and then we're going to sing our closing song. This is 1 Peter 3.21. Peter's talking about how the waters of the flood saved Noah and his family. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Long ago, the Lord said to us, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. The Lord your God is in your midst, Maple Grove, a mighty one who will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you by his love. He'll exalt over you with loud singing. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for my people. God, we love you. And God, your passion for us is so deep and so strong. And God, I pray that right now as we sing this song to you, Lord, God, that you would renew our love for you. God, I pray that we say yes to this proposal. God, it's ridiculous that we will keep you waiting. It's crazy that you would even ask, that you would even want to be in an intimate relationship with us, but you do. And so God, I pray that as we sing, we celebrate your love. In Jesus' name, amen.